Good bones. Life is short, though I keep this from my children. Life is short, and I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways. A thousand deliciously ill-advised ways. I'll keep from my children. The world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate, though I keep this from my children. For every bird, there's a stone thrown at a bird. For every loved child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake. Life is short, and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you, though I keep this from my children. I am trying to sell them the world, any decent realtor, walking you through a real shithole, chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. Welcome back to the Red Fern Book Review. I am your host, Amy Mayer, and I'm happy to welcome you back to the podcast and the very start of season four. I'm so excited to be here, and I've spent all summer researching and reading, and every time I watch a show, listen to a podcast, or read a book, I think about you, the listener, and whether... Um, what I'm reading or listening to would be something that would be of interest to you. And so what we're going to do today is a bit of a book report of sorts. Um, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of books that I read over the summer months. And also I'm going to talk to you about a show, which you may have in fact watched, and a podcast that I'm enjoying. And so the books that we're going to read today are, the first one is The Librarianist by Patrick DeWitt. And the second one is a memoir called You Could Make This Place Beautiful by Maggie Smith. And that's Maggie Smith, the poet, and not um, the actress from Daunton Abbey or Dame Maggie Smith. And the poem that I read at the top of the podcast uh, is Maggie's most famous poem that actually changed her life and probably led to, was the final straw in her marriage. So we'll get to that in a minute. But let's start by talking about some things that I enjoyed listening to and watching over the summer. So the first thing I have to start with is Fisk. And if you haven't already seen it, please um, watch it. It's on Netflix. It's a super fun, um, quirky, to say the least, comedy about a sad sack corporate lawyer. And she's just been fired from her job in Sydney and doesn't really know what to do. And she's also recently divorced. So she goes to a recruiter and ends up getting a job um, working for a very odd law firm called Gruber and Gruber located in Melbourne, Australia. So this is just a super fun uh, comedy following Helen Tudor, Tudor Fisk is her name. So that's her last name. The show is her name and it stars Kitty Flanagan who wrote this 
um, show alongside her sister. And she's a big star in Australia. I'd never heard of her before, but she's a comedian. And I would say this is a bit of The Office meets Boston Legal. And each episode is a bit of a standalone where um, the very small quirky law firm has equally quirky clients. And uh, it's a brother and sister team, Gruber and Gruber, that run the place. And um, the man is kind of a grump. And the woman is, she (laughs) lost her uh, license to practice law. So she's just the office manager and just kind of in everybody's way. And my favorite character is a guy who uh, basically is the receptionist, but calls himself the webmaster, which is a super outdated term and just uses this all the time. And I was talking with my friend, Mia, who uh, is married to an Australian. And I was telling her, I was like, I just love this so much. And I think I love it more than um, the average British comedy. And she said, well, that's because it's it's uh, more immature. So kind of with the Australians, nothing's off limits. And I think you'll I think you'll really enjoy it. From uh, Helen wears like a super baggy brown suit every day. It looks terrible on her, and she does it just because it's easy, and she doesn't have to worry about it. And downstairs, there's from her office, there's a super cute cafe. And one day she was being a bit obnoxious to somebody in the cafe who happens to be the owner, and so. Now she gets banned from there and can never get her morning coffee. So there's kind of a running gag that everyone else has to kind of go get her coffee every day, whether it's a client or uh, someone else who works in the office. So check that out if you want to laugh. And there is a season two. Uh, Netflix hasn't bought it yet, but I'm sure that they will. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is a really fun podcast called I've Had It podcast. And it stars two best friends from Oklahoma City, Jennifer Welsh and Angie Pumps Sullivan. Pumps is her nickname. They've been friends for 23 years and they are kind of Bravo TV stars. Uh, there's They have a show and I'm not sure if it's still running, but it was called Sweet Home Oklahoma starring Jennifer Welsh as an interior designer, just kind of talking about her daily life. And Angie would make appearances as her best friend. And they're just really funny. They swear a lot and they make a lot of fun of their middle-aged mom life. And they just complain the whole time about um, whatever. They complain about the PTA. They think the whole thing needs to be burned to the ground. Uh, They complain about televangelists. They hate the word, bless your heart. They hate that term. Uh, They think true crime is uh, ridiculous. And I I love this. They say, I watch Dateline, I have to admit. I'm going to out myself here. But one of them says, I'm part of the problem, so I can't say anything but good things. And the other woman says... I mean, I kind of have a low-key crush on Dateline host Keith Morrison. There's something soothing about hearing him talk about murder. I could just ease into my bed and just feel ultimately relaxed as he talks about homicide. It's really effed up. So that's kind of the tone of it. And I would just say this is a podcast if you're just looking for like a total escape. Um, It's clever. It's funny. I love their Oklahoma City accents. 
Um, but it's it's not going to change your world. It'll just be a, a really fun giggle. And of course, like the best of podcasts, you feel like you know them and that you're they're your friend and you're kind of there with them. So I recommend that. And they also have guests on too who go ahead and complain with them. So, okay, let's talk about the books. Um, the first book I'm going to talk about is The Librarianist, which is actually not a real term. I had to double check that. Um, so Patrick DeWitt is the author and he is best known. He wrote a book called The Sisters Brothers, which many of them you will know about. And it's a witty Western about a pair of sibling assassins. And I would compare it to um, a Coen Brothers uh, kind of, if the Coen Brothers were to write a book, that's what it would be like. She He also wrote a book called The French Exit. And it's a comedy of manners about a widowed Manhattan socialite who's just burned through her husband's inheritance and takes off um, to uh, a friend's apartment in Paris to escape with her son, with her adult son. And then he wrote another book called uh, Under Major Domo, and it's a sort of gothic adventure. And so this book is different yet again, uh, but what, how it's united is he has this very clever, I would call it droll sense of humor. So, so clever and so, so funny, but you're not necessarily laughing out loud, but you're just like, it's just, it's absurdist. It's really funny. Um, but he's written this book and it's being called a quiet book, which I, I've come to discover. I actually enjoy quiet books and not a whole lot happens in this book, but I do recommend it. So I'm going to tell you a bit about it and you can decide if it's for you. So what it's about, it's about uh, a guy named Bob Comet, and he's a retired librarian, and he has a pretty boring life. He lives in a mint-colored house in Portland, Oregon, and he takes a daily walk. He doesn't have any friends, and he was a librarian for many years, didn't make any friends there, but his, his life is all about order until one day that changes. And what happens, he's at the 7-Eleven and he sees this wacky woman staring at the power drinks, like in the case. And she's wearing a matching pink sweatsuit, bright white sneakers, a mesh back baseball hat, a pair of dark sunglasses, and she's standing like a statue. And so... um he looks over at the cash person and says, what is this person? Okay. And she, the person's the guy's like, I don't think so. And so what ends up happening is he gets this woman out of the store, follows her out of the store and gets her back to um, the retirement home where she actually lives. And there's this hard charging uh, woman who runs the place. And there's this, total cast of wacky, more wacky characters. And through a series of events, Bob starts to volunteer at this retirement home and it completely changes his life. And so my whole take on the whole point of this retirement home is just a way to have a whole slew of side characters, which is what I think Patrick um, Patrick's strength is. Is creating this kind of people that just kind of come and go and have wacky conversations and move through the scene with Bob kind of 
at the center as a straight person. And this book reminded me of two things. It reminded me a bit of David Copperfield with David Copperfield as the straight man and all these crazy characters swirling around him. And it was also sad. And this book is kind of sad as well. And it takes place uh, in the early aughts. So 2005, 2006. And he's at this point, uh, Bob is 71 years old. And that's kind of when his life changes with this retirement home. But a lot of the book is um, reflections on his past. So he has a pretty sad backstory where the one woman that he loved and fell in love with and married uh, ends up leaving him for his very best friend. And those were actually his only two friends. So there's a lot of discussion of that. But you're going to say, why would I read this sad book? I think you'd read it because you're a Patrick DeWitt fan and you want to see what else he's been up to. Um, I think you'd read it because it's just a fun, it's fun. But is it, I would give it, I'm going to give it a four out of five. And if you like a lot of action in your books, I probably wouldn't read this. I just find him so clever. Um, a little bit about Patrick DeWitt also. Did I, did I mention that he is from British Columbia and he now lives in Portland, Oregon. And I actually wanted to try and have him on the podcast, but he has no social media presence what, whatsoever. I found him hard to track down. So I wasn't able to reach him. But um, I was laughing because I'm laughing now because he is from British Columbia. And whenever I, uh, whenever there's someone from Canada, I always have to tell my friend um, from Kansas City, uh, Jennifer Krause, oh, they're Canadian. Oh, they're from Vancouver. And so she's always teasing me that everybody's from Vancouver. But he, in fact, is from British Columbia. So I would give it a four out of five. And um, that's that. Okay. So now we're going to move over and talk about a book that I just absolutely love, love, love. And so the opening um, at the top of the podcast, you heard me read the poem that kind of changed Maggie Smith's life. And what this is, is this is, is a memoir called You Can Make This Place Beautiful. And a little bit about Maggie. Maggie was trucking along as a poet, which is probably a pretty hard way to go, making her art in um, the middle of Ohio in Columbus. So she calls herself, she says, I lived in the heart of the heart. So Ohio is a heart-shaped state and Columbus is in the middle of the heart. So she lives in Bexley. And it was interesting because as I was reading along and I didn't know for sure until it was done, she's talking about her college. And I'm thinking, I think she went to my school. And I found out later she did. So she's a graduate of Ohio Wesleyan, which is a small liberal arts school, 30 minutes north of Bexley. And that was fun. So I could relate to that experience that she had there. And then she just talks a lot about little landmarks around um, Columbus. She talks about Lindy's, which is a, a really nice restaurant and Germantown, which is a quaint uh, neighborhood where Lindy's is also located. And what also struck me, she talks about this a lot. She's essentially from a flyover state. And I also grew up in a flyover state 
Kansas City. And it's the kind of state that you don't think about going there on vacation. You don't really talk about, um, but she loves it. It's, it's, she talks about family. Her family's from there. Her parents are there. Her sisters are there. She has lots of friends that are there. And I just really kind of um, appreciate that. She's not from New York. She's not from Chicago. She's from Ohio. Uh, another thing about this book, she does talk about the pandemic. I feel like I should give a pandemic warning when, um, pandemic is a topic of a book, because I find probably like me, you don't always want to hear about the pandemic because you kind of want to put that behind you. But I found that her marriage started to unravel during the pandemic and there's some sort of fun moments in it in that there's this fun scene where she is, um, bopping around on um, rollerblades in her driveway with her best friend wearing some wacky outfit and just finding a way to have a good time when you can't see or talk to anybody. So I, I thought it was a good way to treat sort of the pandemic. So what this book is about, she actually wrote a book a few years before um, and it was called Keep Moving. And it was sort of musings on the end of a marriage. And this one was a little more specific. And it's a memoir about the end of her marriage. But really why I like this book, there's two reasons. I like it for incredible writing. Um, so clever. It's very experimental. And people have compared it to Rachel Cusk and Deborah uh, Levy. So I would, I would agree with that. Uh, it is, she is a poet and I would say it's like poems strung together in a very cohesive pattern, kind of like a really good old fashioned album. Um, and each chapter, there's a very clever, um, title that tells you what, what it's about. And some of the chapters are one line. Some of them go on for several pages. Some of them are quotes. Some of them are her speaking what seems like directly to you, which is quite powerful, almost like a, a Greek chorus. And what I also liked about this book is she makes it very personal, but she doesn't make it a tell-all. So this isn't a book where she's trashing her husband. He does not come across very well in this book, but she keeps a lot of things private and just is more mining the emotions that she's having during that time, which is basically that she's broken open and has no choice but to reinvent herself. And so this book is really about hope and reinvention. But the way it starts is her um, uh, husband, who's a lawyer, comes home from a business trip. And he uh, gives his son, she's got two, they've got two children together, gives his son a pine cone and kind of goes off to bed. And for some reason, something just didn't sit right with her. And she decides in what she says is against kind of her character or better judgment to go through his, um, his bag. And in his bag, in his travel bag, she finds a postcard and the postcard has a woman's name, a woman's address, and uh, in it, he writes about walking along the beach with her and finding a pine cone together. 
And he gave the same pine cone to his son. And so from there, she's not really sure what she's reading. She knows what she's read, but can't really believe it. Her life just kind of implodes. And from there, it's kind of just this like series of vignettes. But one of the things and the reason why I started with this poem, Good Bones, is she believes that this poem essentially was the final kind of um, end of her marriage. Because before she got this postcard, um, this poem was written in 2016. And up to that point, she was the primary caregiver and looking after the kids and fitting in her poetry. And her husband was a lawyer, corporate lawyer, and was successful. And then when Good Bones came out, it just was like a zeitgeist. And what happened was Meryl Streep ended up reading this poem out loud at an event. And on the show, Madam Secretary, this poem was also read. It blew up on Twitter. She all of a sudden had um, all these requests to speak and she was becoming famous and at least famous from a poet's standard. And it's pretty hard to be a famous poet. So then what was happening is she needed more childcare. She needed to go out of town and she feels that their ecosystem changed. There was a, a change in kind of a power dynamic between them. And while she keeps it fairly vague, it doesn't sound like the poem ended her marriage, but it was sort of that final straw or her marriage couldn't survive, sort of a change in circumstance. And I, what I wanted to end with, there were a couple of things I also wanted to mention. I love this beginning quote that she starts the um, book with. She says, I am out with lanterns looking for myself by Emily Dickinson. I just love that. And then I wanted to finish by talking about um, one of the things that Maggie has learned about herself, about not seeking approval from others, which the older we get, the more we know. I think often women, to stereotype, have more trouble with that learning that lesson, but the older you get, the easier it is. And I subscribe to her newsletter and her newsletter is mainly to talk about um, how to be a better writer. But this came into my inbox and I just thought, oh, I have to share it with you because I just thought it was so great. And so this is what she said. She said, she talks about how she went online and against her better judgment was reading comments about her and her writing. And people have super strong reactions to her in her opinion. And that some people just hate her work and some they find it super annoying and, and some love it. And she uses the phrase, she says, one person's yuck is another person's yum. And she says, as I was writing, you could make this place beautiful, taking risks with both form and content. I suspected for every that for every reader who attached certain craft choices, there would be a reader who'd chafe at those same choices. The direct address, the vignette, that vignettes, the meta aspect of the narration, the privacy boundaries, I knew all of these were love it or loathe it choices. All of this is to say, I knew I was writing book, a book with a strong flavor, but I love strong flavors. 
blue cheese, smoked Kalamata olives, smoked anything really, very dark bitter chocolate, very black bitter coffee, chili crisp, rose lemonade, dill pickles, hot curry, and imperial IPA. I find these things delicious, but I also completely understand how they might taste terrible to other people. Taste is subjective. You're not for everyone. Your work is not for everyone. So be it. And with that, I wanted to conclude the first episode of the new season of the Red Fern Book Review. And thank you so much for joining. And I just wanted to give you a little preview about some things coming up. We've got a really great season planned. Um, Next week, I'm super excited. I've got a local author on, uh, Iona Wishaw, who in her third act in her 60s started writing murder mysteries. And she writes the Lane Winslow mystery series. And they're set in World War II. And they're really fun, especially if you love Louise Penny, where it's like a murder mystery set in a small Canadian town. I think you'll really enjoy this. But what's really interesting is the main character, Lane Winslow, was a spy during World War II. And it turns out that Iona's mom was a spy during World War II. And before that, her grandfather was a spy. So such interesting, that's such an interesting backstory. Uh, Later this fall, I'm going to have Pam Withers on, who's a journalist turned YA author. And she talks about the power of YA novels. Sometimes we want to like get back to our inner teen, although I'm not sure that I do, but just kind of recall those strong emotions that you have when you're a teen and when life is a lot simpler, but in some ways harder. Um, and, oh, I can't wait. In October, we have Susan Matheson back who has the Bedside Table book blog, and she always comes on every fall and does a fall preview. So that's something to look forward to. So thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, be sure to check out my Instagram at Red Fern Book Review. And also you can check out my website at redfernbookreview.com and leave me a positive review on Apple Podcasts. And I look forward to connecting with you more this fall. And uh, I will talk with you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.